You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you're looking for any type of batteries, whether it's for your truck, your car, your trail cameras, your rangefinder, stop into a local Interstate Batteries retail location. There are thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Talk with a battery specialist and get the batteries that you need to go on with your life. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. And this week's episode is, I think most people's favorite time to be in the woods is we're we're talking about the rut. So we've, we've done some content on the rut in the past, but each year's a little different. And, you know, the main thing we wanted to do is kind of talk about rut timing and what, you know, if you could only hunt a weekend or you could only hunt, you know, five days or something, what would those days be this year? And we talk a little bit of strategy, what, you know, what we look for as far as habitat or um, terrain features, that sort of thing. So we talked the rut. Before we get into that, though, I want to talk about our sponsor, Mastin's Deer Sense. So Deer Scent is a great tool during the rut you know i mean everybody gets a bottle of estrus and and that can be very very successful honestly uh, lots of different techniques with that the cool thing about mastins is they've got more than just liquid scent they've got their double scent stacker which would allow you to layer scents so you could have like their their buck reaper scent with their estrus so you could kind of get a, a buck and doe scent together, which is a pretty interesting concept and, and not easy to do without something like that. So check them out, mastinsdeersense.com, or you can just go to ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors and get all of our sponsor information there. Now, what's new? What have you guys been up to? Any, any updates? I don't really have... Uh, I don't really have anything going on that uh, I haven't updated you about prior to this, I don't think. But you guys got anything new? Uh, I don't have too much new. I went out and 
Went to the parks another sit. Took my climber out first time of the year using my climber. Um, unfortunately, nothing to report from there. Had some turkey, but not hunting turkey. So it's a uh, <laughs> whitetail only in the parks. You're not allowed to um, harvest any other game, even if it is in season. So I was covered up in squirrel, but couldn't do anything about that. And then I had some turkey come in. There were some hens came in underneath me. So it was cool to watch them. They didn't stick around long. I think they saw me trying to record them on my phone. So I didn't end up getting too good a video. But um, that was about all from that sit. Didn't see any deer. Didn't hear any deer. It's that kind, that time of year, though, where um, the deer movement kind of shifts and comes down to a screeching halt in a lot of areas because they're switching from a bed to food pattern to more of their, they're starting into their kind of breeding mating patterns where they're shifting to different areas and starting to hit the scrapes and kind of start to get that breeding on the mind. So it shifts their patterns. So I think we'll just have to readjust out there and try and figure out where they're at because where we're hunting is not where they're at. So, Okay. That's about it for me. Oh, and I do have a uh, shooter buck at the property. He's not daylight yet, but at least he's there. I have a picture of him. Um, That's good I have news. No, I mean, he's not. Yeah, so he's not uh, probably not quite as big as the one I shot last year, but he's significantly bigger than everything else that I've gotten. So kind of trying to keep tabs on him, keep him around, keep him fed. So we'll see what happens as the rut approaches. I think that's what that property is. It's a holds holds dose pretty heavy, so it's a rut property. So it's getting close to the time where it's going to start lighting up. I hope so. We'll just keep track, keep tabs on it, try to keep track on them, and see if I can get one to make a mistake. Cool. How about you, Jeff? Anything new? So I've uh, done a few few sits um you know just trying to harvest does and they're evading you know eluding us um i don't know i i haven't ever experienced a a season this slow where it just seems like everything that i do is not right you know just striking out um i over the weekend uh hunted from the first time from a climbing tree stand it was i don't know an adventure Um, (laughs) you know i i don't have my system together yet so it was like i don't even know you know yeah even you know from carrying it back you know because they they give you these straps but it's it's hard to line the straps up right and so carrying it back there trying not to make a bunch of noise and then i had a tree picked out which would have been a really great tree but it was a walnut tree and at the base it was just too big around you know it it narrowed out pretty quickly but at the base it was just too too big around i couldn't fit the, sh- the cord around it yeah um so then i went and picked out another tree 
that was in a really good spot, but it had a spot where uh, it a branch of it had grown into a tree next to it, so there was no way to get around that. You know, oh, okay. it fused to another tree. So then I went to a third tree, which was probably, I mean, it was on the small end of, you know, as small of a tree as you could have climbed. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't able to get too high in that tree. Um, you know, probably just high enough. Um, cause it, it was kind of sitting, it kind of sits on a hill that was overlooking a trail. So I probably only got maybe eight, nine foot into that tree. Okay. You know, so the, the deer that were walking on the hill with me, um, you know, I probably would have been basically right in their eyesight. Um, but the deer that would be walking the trails, you know, the, the trail that I was trying to hunt, you know, I was up above them. So it turned out to not be too bad of a spot, but it was, it was a mess. You know, that's just the best way I can describe it is, you know, just tying, you know, tying the, a string to to pull up the bow with and yeah i just it was a mess so maybe next time i'll be a little bit better and you know now that i know what to expect so just like yeah stuff wasn't dialed in it sound you know like yeah yeah and just need more practice with it yeah yeah oh and the 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 seat on my climber is like uh it's made of like rope or cord it's like a hammock type yeah yeah well it had gotten twisted like onto itself so that i was sitting there and had to fiddle around with it to untwist it and uh my angles weren't right you know so i was sitting there kind of angled upward which then kind of pushed me you know, back into the tree, which then didn't really make the top when I was sitting there want to bite great. You know what I mean? I had a ratchet strap on too, but it it just allowed for some play in the top part of the the stand, mm, you know, the, yeah. the seat, which just kind of makes you a little uncomfortable. Yeah, a little unnerving. Yeah, so... Yeah. yeah, I mean, speaking from someone who's, I'm not by no means a veteran of using a climber, but I've used it for a couple seasons. It, It's an art, finding your tree and knowing what the right size is. And then also, you just have to be able to, it's from experience, to know where to set your cord. Because the tree gets thinner a lot of times as you go up it. So at the base, you want to be tilted up a little bit. So then as you go up, it flattens out. But if you're tilted too much up, then you, like you said, you're tilted into the tree and you're not biting. If you start out flat, you go up and then it's, you're leaning out of the tree and you feel like you're falling the whole time. (laughs) So it's kind of a, it's an art. (laughs) 
because there's no like good said, way system, to adjust that once you've started climbing. Like you can't choke no. down on that at all. No. Um, you could adjust your seat, but your foot, like your bottom part, uh-huh. um, there's no way. I mean, you, you'd be hanging upside down. Oh, okay. So you could potentially adjust the top part, but it's not a smooth, easy thing. Right. You're just not like it would be very rope slide through a pressing knot or something. It's like, no, yeah, no, it's yeah. I mean, it's at least my stand and I, from, I looked at Jeff's quick. I think they're the same cable style. It's basically a metal cable wrapped in rubber that has like stop points. No. Okay. So it's not fine tuned. I mean, they're whatever they're six inches apart. So it's like, it's this knot or this fat part of the cord. Or it can go six inches tighter or six inches looser. And you kind of got it might not be six inches. I haven't measured it. But you know what I mean? That's how it works. And then it locks in to like mine locks into like a metal spring loaded safety thing. So you have to like bend that metal safety thing down. Tilt the stand up to loosen the tension. Pull the cord forward and then feed it out. And then it's not an easy quick little. It's doable. But you're not going to do it quietly. You're not going to do it smooth. You know what I mean? It's going to blow the woods out probably to do it. Or you're going to be unsafe. You know what I mean? That's so gotcha. it's, it's an art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all the cords, you know, like Jeff said, your ropes, you got to know. Jeff, you'll have to make yourself a pooling rope or, you know, it's stuff like that, that until you do it and you realize like, oh, this isn't going to work or this rope I thought was going to be real easy to pull up. Well, this doesn't work. It's too long or it's too short or, you know, you got to have a rope. That's the right distance to where you can climb whatever your range is, you know, whether that's 10 to 30 feet, however, you, I don't know how high you want to climb. Your rope's got to be long enough, but you don't want it too long or else it tangles in every branch and sapling on the way down. So then you're trying to pull your bow up and your bow's hooking on trees and your rope's hooked in a tree that's next to you and it gets to be a mess. I even so. like, you know, I'm not used to climber, but, you know, talking about pull up ropes, like I, <laughs> you guys will laugh, but I actually wrote down like my tree climbing procedure and there was a few details that I, or I typed it out. There was a few details that I added to it after the first sit because, you know, like you said, your pull-up rope for your bow. I, I clipped it on my bow because I've, I've just, um, I used to tie a knot every time. And then I was like, man, this is such, you know, you got to tie a knot and then you got to get the bow up and you got to untie the knot. And I, so I just ended up tying my rope to a, you know, just a cheapo carabiner. It's not a load bearing carabiner, but I'm just using it to pull my, my bow up. Well, where I clip it on my bow I have better or worse success. So I clipped it to the foot stirrup. And when I lift from there, my bow like wants to roll and, you know, it, it, it does weird stuff basically. Like if I pick it up from the foot stirrup, the bow wants to roll over and the scope wants to like flop over onto the ground or bang into the tree versus if I pick it, you know, there's a, there's a hole in the back of the stock. If I pick it up from there or I clip it back there, the, you know, the back of the stock comes up and it just lifts and it's, you know, it's all good. So, you know, I added that to my notes for 
next season when I'm doing this, you know, like, oh yeah, tie it to the back of the bow because it lifts off the ground easier that way. Yeah. I think it's a pretty known, if you look into people like with pull-up ropes on like social media and stuff, it's like a pretty known issue where when you lower your bow down, it always wants to flip upside down onto the scope. Yeah. So like it's all, it's a art to try and get it to lay the right way because you don't want it to technically, you don't want to drop it, you know, lay it on the scope. Right. It's the heavier, you know, it's top heavy. So it makes it tough because that's the heavier side of the bow. If you stand it up, you know, like the way I've always done it is on the foot stirrup, like you said, and the scope side is the heavier side. So it wants to lean that way when you set it down. Yeah. But I used to have the way I was even, even down to like the way you coil up your pull up rope. You know, I used to, to, um, I used to daisy chain my pull up rope. And so, you know, it, it kind of looks like a giant mess, but I would, you know, basically you have the, when you go to undo the daisy chain, you have both ends. You can, but you don't have to undo the entire daisy chain, which in theory is great. As you climb that daisy chain just unravels and it's all good. But what would happen is as that daisy chain's laying on the ground, it's basically, you know, it's a bunch of loops. You know, you pull a loop, you reach through the loop, you pull the cord, you know, and so you end up with the, the, the rope looped inside of itself. Well, you've got all these loops that as it's trying to come unwound, it, loop, you know, any stick laying on the ground or anything like that, you know, it would, it would hook on that stuff, which would stop the daisy chain from unraveling. So you're like right. halfway up and it's and starting your to lift your bow off up. the ground or something, you know, it's like, oh gosh, darn it. You know, and then you're, cl- you know, climbing back down, un- untangling the rope and, you know, so I even, even stuff like that. So I, I know what you mean, Jeff, by like, the, you know, just the system wasn't dialed in yet, you know, but all right. Anything else you guys want to update on any hunting news or anything you guys have seen that people should know about oh yes actually now that you mentioned that um this will this info will be probably a little dated by the time this episode comes out but not too dated i don't think um they the ohio wildlife council um has just amended their regulations that uh deer processors and taxidermists can now get certified to accept out-of-state animals. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so you will have to check with your taxidermist and with your processor, but if you're playing the hunt out-of-state, there is now a process that they can go through to get certified to accept out-of-state animals. Meaning you could take a deer like a whole carcass or you know you could have like meat still on the bone and take it to one of these processors and they have proper cleaning and disposal procedures in place to prevent any kind of cwd contamination correct yeah yeah and i i don't know the the specifics exactly um you know you'll probably have to check with someone you know processor a taxidermist who's actually going to 
go through the certification process. Um, but there is there is a way now to okay. get it done. So Okay. All right. Well, if nothing else, should we get into the topic then? All right. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? So, the rut. The rut is coming up here we're, we're probably when you guys listen to this it'll be you know early pre-rut kind of time frame and things will be starting to ramp up so we thought uh, we did an episode similar to this last year but <clears throat> you know i think the rut is <laughs> a lot of whitetail hunters favorite time and and you know, if you can only take a week off work for deer hunting, then, you know, the rut is probably a good time to do that to, uh, to have a, your best chance at, at a buck. Uh, you know, you could argue, uh, some people I'm sure would argue otherwise, but, you know, I think a lot of people just like the excitement and, and, and mayhem of the rut, if you will. So, That'll be here real soon. So we thought, you know, we would kind of do an updated version of that. If you're going to take a week off, you know, when would we take it off? If you're only, if you can only hunt weekends, you know, what, what can you expect on your weekends this year based on, you know, when we typically see rut things happening. So with that, um, you know, I guess to start, right, the rut early November, and I think everybody's pretty aware that, you know, there's, there's sort of, you know, everybody talks about the rut, but there's sort of phases of the rut, if you will, you know, are, are you talking about when, you know, when you say, when's the rut? Uh, are you talking about when is peak breeding? Are you, you know, are you talking about when is all the chasing and the, and the bucks running crazy through the, through the woods in the middle of the day? You know, there it's, you kind of got to understand, I guess there's phases of the rut and it depends on what you're looking for. Like what, what, what am I trying to say here? Depending on the property you have access to, if you have access to private property, depending on how that property lays out, may depend on when you, quote unquote, think the rut is or what phase of the rut you like hunting. If you're on public ground, you can kind of move to areas that... Uh, you know, are, are sort of typically good rut locations, I guess, if, if you will. But it, it's going to depend on the phase that you're in, right? So 
I don't know. What do you, what do you guys, maybe Jeff, if you want to go first, what do you look for when, when it comes time to hunt the rut? What are you looking for terrain wise, habitat wise? What, what things are you looking for, for a good rut setup? Yeah. I mean, terrain slash habitat wise. Um, I mean, I'm looking for bottlenecks, you know, pinch points of, you know, like it's either, you know, like between two fields, there's a little patch of woods that connects to larger patches of woods or uh, like saddles in hills, you know, where it's less steep, you know, to get from, you know, over a ridge, you know, things like that where the deer when they're just out naturally moving when they're you know when bucks are trying to cover ground what's easiest and most secure for them to move so that's kind of in general you know overview of terrain i would even add like you know if you're in an area that doesn't have a lot of topography even like a low you know, a lot of times you'll see in a field, there's a low area that, that maybe doesn't get planted. You know, one of those like drainage swales or something. A lot of times now, granted, I've seen bucks running through the wide open middle of a field during the rut. So, but there's nothing, you know, how do you, how do you hunt that deer? Right. There's nothing. That's just a buck running crazy. Right. But if you have one of these, like sort of low spots, a lot of times deer will use those because they're low and they can move through there and maybe not be seen from the road or, you know, feel a little more secure while also cutting across the field and not having to swing way out and around and like hug the tree line going out and around. So that, you know, as another sort of terrain feature to look for, I would add that as well. Yeah, a good terrain feature for, like, areas that don't have a lot of topography um, is, like, creek bottoms. You know, a lot of times out, you know, western Ohio, the more ag areas, you know, big ag fields, um, you know, you'll have creek bottoms, you know, just a small, you know, maybe 30 yards across hunk of woods that, kind of follows the creek and uh you know those are highways basically for the for the deer especially during rut you know they can get down in there and move from field to field and you know even when when you get to a road a lot of times those creek bottoms have a bridge so they don't even need to cross the road they can just go where the creek goes underneath the bridge right so that's kind of terrain features wise habitat. I mean, you want to look for bedding um, because the does until they're completely receptive are trying to hide from the bucks. You know, the bucks are running them ragged. Yeah. You know, so they're, trying their hardest to hide they don't want the bucks bothering them until they're receptive so uh bedding thick cover um things like that 
other areas where the does can kind of hide their scent. Um, you know, uh, like bottomlands that don't really allow a lot of wind out of them. You know, if you got like a little swampy bottom, you know, between some hills, sort of similar to creek bottoms, but, uh, you know, a little bit more secluded, um, you know, because with creek bottoms, scent typically blows up and down them sure. you know pretty easy so all a buck's got to do is stick their head you know basically down in that creek bottom and they can smell a hot doe for a long ways down that creek bottom because the scent just follows it so any place that you know doe can kind of get into to hide if you can get on the edge of that you know a lot of times the bucks will be walking the edges, scent checking to see if there's any hot does in that bedding. Yeah. And so I guess for me, I like that, you know, sort of pre rut leading into the rut when you, when you're seeing a lot of that seeking, right? Like the does are, or the bucks are out cruising around trying to find that first receptive doe. Right. Cause the, you know, and I don't know the chemistry of it, but you know, the scent is in the air, if you will, the deer, the bucks can tell that the does are almost ready and they are looking right. I mean, it, it's nature's way. They want to reproduce and, and procreate. So they are doing their best. They're, you know, they're, they're triggered to the first receptive doe and as many does after that. And so that's the part of the rut that I typically like because you, you can go, I mean, you hear people talk about like the rut lockdown, right? And that's, I kind of see that as there are does that have become receptive or are very close a buck will sort of push her into some deep dark hole where he can keep tabs on her, but also keep other bucks away and kind of stay in there, right? They don't, uh, you know, that's why they call it lockdown. They just kind of lock down in an area and wait for the opportune time. Uh, you know, I don't know the, the, wait for the the stars to align if you will <laughs> and uh do their thing but you know your your activity can kind of go down a little bit during that time now that's you know there's certainly you'll you'll certainly see deer because if if a deer gets run off of one area he may say well forget it i'm going to you know cruise around and try to find another one but I more prefer that, that sort of earlier rut seeking phase just because I like seeing bucks running through the woods. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
And I mean, we may be talking around the same time. We may just disagree on what the the deer are doing at that time. You know, we might be reading the deer's activity is different. Um, but I prefer after that first, basically right after peak breeding, after that, those those first does have become receptive and been bred, and then the bucks are looking for that that second, you know, that second mm-hmm. doe or that second batch of does coming in the heat. Um, because what I find happening is with that first seeking pre pre rut and like seeking phase, um, the bucks lock down, if you will, to a doe uh kind of early like a, a lot they they stay with those does a lot longer at first because like oh this is the first doe that's showing any sign of estrus you know so i'm hanging out with her like sure and then after that one has been bred you know after that first wave of them came in and they've been bred then that buck is really, you know, jazzed up. And there's a lot of, you know, the smell of estrus is in the woods. You know, he's really looking now. Mm-hmm. You know, he's found one, he's got one, and he knows I need I need to breed. I need to breed more. Sure. You know, I need to pass my genes along. So that's the the time I really like, um, which, you know, is a little, it's typically about a week, half a week later than a lot of other people typically kind of mark the X on their calendar. If deer feed or corn is, is a strategy you use to get deer in front of your stand or in front of your cameras, check out Monster Whitetail Grub. They're an Ohio deer feed company and they've got what you need when it comes to deer feed. They've got their signature monster whitetail grub feed, which is a high protein feed with mineral mixed in and you can get different additives added to it. They've also got flavored corn, which takes your regular corn and steps it up a notch. And then if you just want straight mineral, they've got that also. So go to ohiohuntsman.com sponsors and find out where to order it. I know they're getting into more and more retailers now, so maybe there's a retailer near you. If not, you can order right from Monster Whitetail Grub. And with that, let's get back into the conversation. So I guess, I mean, that leads us into marking the X on on the calendar, right? So if you were, let's do this. Let's, uh, looking at the calendar this year, right? November actually... November 1st starts on a Sunday. So when, if, uh, what do we want to start with? If you, if you were going to pick a weekend to hunt or if you were going to pick, you know, maybe five to seven days to hunt, what do you, what do you guys like? Um, I mean, in my situation, I guess we can do both because they overlap each other. (laughs) We'll start with the weekend. All right, so if you were going to do, you know, maybe take like a Friday off or a Monday. So, so let's say you were going to do like a three-day weekend. What 
And that was it. What weekend would you pick? So you've got Friday, six, seven, eight, Friday, the sixth, Saturday, seven. You, you could go earlier and do, you know, October 31st, November 1st, you know, that, Weekend, you could go 13, 14, 15, November 20, 21, 22. What do you guys, what do you like if you had one weekend to pick? Uh, one weekend for me, I, I would probably do six, seven, eight. Or if you could get that Monday off, seven, eight, nine would be any, even better. Okay. Um, I think, but it's a tough, it's tight for me because Halloween weekend, 31, you know, 30, 31, one would be a close second. And that is not your traditional rut. And that's definitely pre-rut. So you'd have to hunt it differently. But I do think, I mean, it's historical. People say all the time, a lot of big deer get killed on Halloween. Um, and I think that is because that's like the peak of the responsiveness to calling. I think deer respond best late October, early November to your rattling, your grunts, your, you know, that kind of hunting over scrapes. Sure. That's when I think you have your best, you know, they're, that's when they're checking the scrapes because they're trying to find that first doe. They're really feeling it. Their testosterone's ramped up. They're sparring They're So I think if you're someone who likes to call and you don't like to sit in the woods quiet, that's maybe your best weekend is Halloween weekend. But I think seven, eight, whether you want to go six, seven, eight, seven, eight, nine, for me, I think that's probably the best weekend for that, like you were saying, Jason, that chasing, that seeking, deer being on their feet and moving. Um, historically, for us, I know from our small sample size, but our family of hunters, the four of us, um, that basically like November 10th and 11th is the prime time. We've all killed our biggest bucks outside of Jeff. I think Jeff shot yours. Yours was during gun season, right, Joe? Yeah. Mine was the second day of gun season. Yeah. Okay. But dad, Jason and me, all of our biggest bucks were all killed on either the 10th or the 11th. Um, so I'm partial to that time frame. So that's kind of where I said, if you roll into like seven days, I would do that weekend seven, eight, and then that week eight through 14, (laughs) that would be my prime time for rut. But I think if you get into that 14, 15, you're flirting potentially. And again, there's a lot of impacts for the rut, but, um, and the pre, you know, peak breeding and that a lot of it's dependent on a lot of things, weather being one of them, Mm -hmm. at least, um, daytime, you know what I mean? if it's time, it's time, they're going to breed. But if the weather patterns don't line up right, a lot of that breeding can happen overnight (laughs) where you're not going to see that, you know, chasing or whatever. If that weekend of seven, eight 
we get some kind of Indian summer and it's 70 degrees outside, the deer aren't going to want to be running during the day. It's too hot. Yeah. (laughs) So there's things you got to take into consideration too when it gets closer to time. But for me, that seven, eight, nine, six, seven, eight, whatever you can cut it, that's when I per, I mean, that's when we're going to do our bow weekend down at the cabin. I think that's the better weekend. Um, the best weekend out of the options this year. Yeah. J- Jeff, you agree or would you pick a different weekend? I'd pick a different weekend. Let's hear I it. think, uh, you know, like we have historically been very successful right around the 11th, 10th, 11th. And I think that's what I attribute that to is that that's right after those bucks have bred their first does. And they're looking okay. for their next, they're looking for the more harder to find does. So that's when the bucks are really starting to run around crazy. Um, so that starts it. So I would, you know, pick the weekend of the fort, the 14th. So how, um, how long in, and you know, this is just speculation, but cause I, I could, I could buy into that, you know, that 10, 11 time frame is, you know, they're, they've already bred their first doe and, and they're looking for, you know, second or third or whatever. How long do you feel like that period lasts? What, what period? What's the question? That period of them running around looking for the harder to find does. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. I think basically from my experience, bucks are running around crazy for like from like the 10th for another like two weeks, you know, cause I've seen a lot of rut activity, you know, bucks showing up out of nowhere for youth season. You know, like there's still a lot of rut activity during youth season. So, Which is that weekend before, like the weekend before Thanksgiving, 21st, 22nd. Yeah, yeah. This year, yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, honestly, that's also a a great time. You know, my my number one weekend would be the 14th. And then I would go a week earlier but the only reason i would go a week earlier is because of the impact that the youth gun season has on the deer you know they're not it's they're way less predictable because now there's the youth gun season you know which is pushing deer around plus i kind of like to leave youth gun season to the youth like i you know i i like to try to stay out of the woods you know it's hard when that's one of the peak you know one of the in my opinion's top three at least weekends to be hunting sure but i like to try to stay out of the woods and let the youth have it but i've i've seen a lot of buck activity during youth youth gun season so i 
I really get excited, you know, around the 10th, you know, after that first week of October, I, I get week of November or sorry. Yeah. November. Sorry. I, I, I start, that's when I really start to get excited after that. And basically until, you know, youth gun seasons, kind of the end of what I see is like, peak movement okay yeah so for me if you know if i was going to do a weekend i think i would be with jacob six seven eight or if you could get that monday instead of a friday you know seven eight nine for for me and and jacob the way our schedules work like i get every other friday off so it works out because i can hunt more but take less vacation and that happens to fall on the sixth this year so that sort of played into our uh decision to do our our cabin trip six seven eight this year versus 13 14 15 uh because you know we would have to take an extra day of vacation to do to do that so but i i I historically, I mean, sort of echoing what Jake said, every year I get, well, I shouldn't say every year. I think the past, I forget if it's two or three years, but, you know, we go to the cabin for for a bow hunting weekend. And then, you know, later in the season, I typically am running a camera out at a property here locally, and every year it seems I have a daywalker shooter buck on like the ninth or the tenth out there, and then after that, you know, I, I get, you know, maybe I'll see a buck on the eleventh, but past that i my at least good quality bucks the pictures taper off a lot and that's been historical like i said for at least two but it might have been it might be three years now that i've run a camera out there and it you know i can go back and look at the pictures every year yeah i think it's either the ninth or the tenth i'll have a picture of a good buck walking, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon or something. So that, that little piece of data, I guess, leads me to favor that time period. So I guess if you were going to take a week, if you could take a week off, Jeff, I think you might differ. When would your week be if you were going to take a week? And I guess it doesn't have to be a weekend. But so let's say you were going to take five days of vacation with it. You know, you've got a typical schedule. You're going to take five days of vacation. What five days would you take? What? Let me look at a calendar here real quick, just so I have it pulled up. All right. Okay. Yeah. So if I'm taking five days of vacation, like a a full week, you know, calendar week. Doesn't have to be. I'm just saying five, you know, so you could do like 11, 12, 13, 16, 17. You know, what five days would you take vacation? I'd start the 10th. 
I think, and then would take, you know, the 10th through the 16th is what I would do. Jake, what would you take? Jake, are you muted? Sorry, yes, I was muted. I'm talking to myself. (laughs) Um, I would take... I still think I'd stand by my original... I mean, yeah, I'd probably stand by my original. I would take the 9th through the 13th because that would maximize my time in the woods too because then I could hunt 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. <laughs> sure, you get, yeah, you get two weekends out of it. get two kinda, weekends that way. I was thinking the same um, because, like I said, I you know, historically I get pictures of deer, you know, Daywalker bucks, 9, 10, 11. Um, you know, a lot of us have shot good bucks in that time period. So I think, I think I would be 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 also. So you should be in the woods the f- sometime the first three weeks of November. <laughs> Uh, any what what else do you yeah. guys want to talk about about the rut? I mean, basically, like I said, yeah, like it, the most you can be in the woods of those three weeks, the better. Um, I guess the only thing I would touch on would be just kind of different strategies. And again, this is just one guy being me who's not that experienced in the world of big buck hunting. Um, but I do think that tactics change. You know, a lot of guys think or talk about calling during the rut, the rattling, the grunting, the doe estrus bleats, the, um, you know, you kind of have to match those things with the phase or the time of the rut that you're hunting. You know, rattling, good point. Yeah. Rattling doesn't necessarily, or sparring, which is what you're trying to imitate with rattling, doesn't necessarily occur at the same time that doe estrus bleats are occurring a lot of times by the time the does are in estrus a lot of that sparring and battling has already happened you know the pecking order is in place so a lot of times you know there's estrus bleat but the mature buck already knows this is my place i already whooped every other buck around here and that's in my hood so he's you know, he goes around and he will start tending and you can tell a mature buck tone wise from an immature buck. A lot of the other bucks will run away, <laughs> you know, so sure. if you are after the big daddy, the single biggest deer in your woods, and that's the only buck you want, then maybe grunting and doing all that is fine. But if you're just trying to get a buck, if you start hitting a lot of the commercial made buck calls you might be scaring all your bucks away because whooped a week before by a buck that sounded just like that (laughs) sure you know what i mean so you got to kind of be careful i guess with calling and know when to use what you know that early phase end of october first week of november you're probably going to have in my mind more luck with rattling hunting over scrapes that's they're still working out the pecking order and kind of doing that. 
if you get into the second week of November, third week of November, you know, your deer probably not anymore because it's already, or sparring, it's already been worked out. Unless two big bucks decide to flirt on each other's land, so to speak, or range, then you might have a fight. But mm-hmm. I think that might be more few and far between in terms of actual sparring and fighting, if you will that time period versus early when it's all the bucks are sparring and working it out as to who gets first crack at her type thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I just think it's, I guess that's the takeaway is just kind of know whenever you pick to be in the woods or are able to be in the woods, pay attention to what the deer should or could be doing and try to match your hunting with that. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Jeff, anything you want to add? I mean, I think the only other sort of, I don't know, piece of advice or whatever is during during the rut, your traditional hunting hours, you know, hunt the morning till 10 o'clock and then, you know, go back to the stand in the evening um, kind of gets thrown out the window. Um yeah, the the morning is still good. You know, it's still probably uh, peak movement, but you're just as likely to catch, you know, a buck coming by your stand at noon or one or two o'clock. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, th- those daytime pictures I get out of, the you know, that property here locally, they're you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, general two, three o'clock, something like that. So, yeah, that's a good point. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, then, uh, hopefully this has been helpful. I would, I would be curious too, to hear what you all, the listeners think, you know, what, uh, what weekend are you picking and why, what weekend, what part of the rut do you like? And, uh, yeah, what weekend, it would kind of be interesting to see, you know, kind of collect a little anecdotal data from our audience or, you know, people out there. What uh, what weekend are you hunting and, and what kind of activity are you seeing? So with that, I think we'll shut it off and good luck everybody out there and we'll talk to you next week. All right, so that's it for this week. Hopefully you guys have plans to get out and hunt the rut. It's an exciting time to be in the woods. Anything can happen at any part of the day. So do your best to uh, get out there and stay out there. If you are looking for more content, we've got a whole archive of episodes you can go back and listen. If, If you're new to the podcast, if you have been listening to the podcast from the beginning and you aren't following us on social that's another way to interact with us more if if you're interested in that so we're ohio huntsman on facebook ohio huntsman underscore podcast on instagram and we like seeing what you guys are up to sending us your pictures and things like that so share that stuff with us and if you're looking for ohio huntsman merch go to ohiohuntsman.com slash apparel and you can order shirts and hoodies and decals and that kind of stuff so with that I'll let y'all get back to your your day 
and good luck. Hopefully you've had some success. If not, hopefully you have some, some success coming your way. And we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.